Okay, uh, you might be wondering what this is. I have a, a kind of a habit, a creature habit at night. During the week, I try to eat well, and this is, this is crystal light. This is awesome. It has like no calories, no sugar, but it tastes like Christmas candy. I mean, it's really good. It's really good. And I think this is supposed to make like 94 or 150 ounces or something. It makes about 20 for me. I like my Kool-Aid like I like my chocolate syrup and my woman. Strong. So, uh, so what I do at night, I come home and I, I tear open the pack. This, this is going to matter in a minute. And I, I put it in here. And Corey, would you? Thank you. I mix it up. And, and I have a, one little quirk. I like to drink my Kool-Aid with a spoon. Any of y'all do that? It's the coolest thing because if you're trying to diet, it makes you feel like you're eating something. And, and then, so you're doing it like this. And now my granddaughter, Riley and Bailey, they do it. Riley wouldn't admit it, but she does. And, or they'll want to drink out of my spoon. Like Bailey is six, and she'll be going, <coughs> can, Papa, can I have a drink? It's like, you have leprosy, kid. Leave me alone, you know. And so I'm watching TV, and I'm reading, and I'm leaning back at my recliner, and I try to put on an old T-shirt. Well, a few weeks ago, I had on a, a nicer T-shirt, one that my wife gave me. On the back, it says, I'll be your huckleberry. Does anybody know where that came from? The movie Tombstone, where Doc Holliday was getting ready to gunfight. He told somebody, I'll be your huckleberry, you know, and he was going to fight him. And Cindy gave me this shirt this summer, and she loves it, and I love it. And it had Kool-Aid stains all over it. She's freaking out. You have ruined the shirt. You have ruined the shirt. You have ruined the shirt. And I assured her in the name of Jesus to submit to me and that I didn't think the shirt was ruined. I'm kidding, you women. Uh, and, but it was definitely stained with Kool-Aid. And we will go back to that in a moment. We're looking at Joshua chapter 2 uh, today. And we're going to talk about, uh, about a, a lady who had some issues And we're going to talk about you and me, Joshua chapter 2. And I want to begin with a question. Are you stained today? Are you stained? And I will answer this for you. Yes, you are. And the hero of our story is uh, a lady who is stained also. Here's what's happening. They are getting ready, the Jewish people, to enter the promised land. The promised land, remember, is where their best life is going to be. That's where God has for them. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. But it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be hard. And, and to get there, before they, they, they go over, they send out some spies to find out what's going on. As they get Because it's going to be a lot of military uh, fighting going on. So we begin in verse 1. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp. At Acacia Grove, he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed the night there. Do you find anything interesting and kind of unchurchy about that verse? You, you, you should. Okay, Jericho, Jericho, let me show you on a map where Jericho, and all these cities are still here today. The Jewish people are probably right here, and there's a bunch of them. And so here's the Jordan River. They're going to cross over the Jordan River, Dead Sea here, Sea of Galilee. Jesus walked on this a couple times. The, the, Jericho is the first big city. There's Jerusalem. Jericho's there. That is going to be uh, key as they begin to take the promised land. 
It's about five miles west of the Jordan River. So to, to get what God has for them, they're going to have to go. And the, the first thing is they're going to have a battle with these people in this city. And these are wicked, evil people. And so they send two spies out to find out what's going on. Uh, Jericho, some people say Jericho is the oldest city in the world. And, and that uh, the, the name Jericho means city of palms. It's a, a fragrance place. When Cindy and I were it, when Israel, we drove past it. And you could see, of course, palm trees there. And it, was, it looked like a beautiful place. The spies go out and they stay at Rahab the what's house? The prostitute. Do you find that kind of interesting? I find it very interesting. Uh, Through the years, people have tried to water this down. Some have said, well, she was was more Rahab the innkeeper. She was Rahab the businesswoman. No, she was Rahab the prostitute. If you don't know what a prostitute is, I am not going to tell you this morning. You ask your parents as soon as you get home and make them be in an uncomfortable spot. But... So they, 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 they get there, they go, and they stay at Rahab's house. Now, Rahab, uh, was she a prostitute? Absolutely. The, word, the Hebrew word there, prostitute, in the Old Testament written Hebrew, it, it means prostitute. We're going to see Rahab's mentioned in the New Testament. She is defined as a prostitute there. The New Testament written in Greek is the Greek word pornea. Uh, pornea for, is used. We get our word pornography from that. Uh, she, she, she was a prostitute. And I always find it interesting that these men stayed at the house of a prostitute. Now, again, we at church, we sanitize and we clean things up, don't we? I mean, because, oh, she was a sweet little prostitute. No, that's, that's not reality, okay? And, and we, we forget the dynamics of how all this would have played out. Let's just take, uh, if I would have sent Josh and Clayton to spy out the land, Okay. Think about this. So they come back to me, and, and we're talking, and I said, well, tell me about everything that you experienced, what happened. And they're telling me, I said, where did you stay the night in Jericho? And they go, we, we stayed at a prostitute's house. You what? You stayed? We, you know, we won't tell the church uh, that, you know, nothing happened and nothing did happen. But, I mean, you know, you stayed at a prostitute's house. So then Josh and Clayton go home, and their wives ask them, hey, tell us about Jericho. It's great and everything. Where did you stay? Oh, we stayed at a lady's house. Oh, you stayed with a woman? No, what, what did her husband do? She, she wasn't married. Uh, oh, she was a widow. No, she's a young woman. Really? You stayed at a young woman's house? Was she a, a cook in the community? Was she, uh, was, was she a uh, seamstress? She was a prostitute. She was a what? Janelle would have rolled her eyes at Josh and walked away. Mary would have hit Clayton over the head with a pan. <laughs> you just can't explain that away, can you? I mean, that's hard that's hard to come across. But let's think about Rahab for a second. They say that prostitution is the oldest profession in the history of the world. It certainly would be one of the most denigrated professions in the world. Several years ago, HBO had a special, an eight, ten-part series on prostitutes in the New York City, Newark, New Jersey area. And I remember watching parts of that, and it was very, very sad. They would interview these ladies. They would talk to them about their lives, their upbringing, and every, every one of their lives is a disaster. I mean, the ladies would say, you know, we're, we're a disgrace. We are, on the, we are the fringe of the fringe of society. Men love us for a few minutes and use us and exploit us. Our families despise us. Nobody says, hey, I hope when my kid grows up they're a prostitute. And... and the police hate us. We're, we're, we're the, we are the edge of society. And yet in the story this morning, 
the key player in this chapter, as the Jewish people are beginning to find the life God has for them, is a despised lady, a lady with a lot of stains on her. I wonder this morning, you have some stains? Let's be honest now. You've got some pornography on the computer. You're not married. You're having sex. You're married and you're having sex with someone you shouldn't be having sex with. You're just mean, dishonest. The question this morning really is not, are you stained? The question is, how stained are you? And the question in the moment is going to be, are you going to be honest about it and do anything about it? You see, Romans 3.23 says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that verse means? We are all stained. Did you know that? Did you know that you're stained this morning? The wisest, most common sense spiritual thing you can do is accept that and embrace it. We're all stained. But I want to tell you something beautiful in the midst of that for Rahab and for you and me. God loves me. God loves you. Here's Rahab. She's had to felt like a disgrace to her family. Again, people use her, but they don't like her. They don't respect her. They don't care for her. She has boyfriends when they need something. She's around people, but she's probably one of the most lonely people in the world. You think it would have been hard to convince her that God loved her? That may be you this morning. You know you. And if you're honest about who you are and how you live, I know with me, sometimes it's really hard to look in the mirror and go, God knows every crook and cranny, but he still loves me. Sometimes that's good in theology up here. It's just hard to embrace here. John 3.16, probably the most known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Words mean something. The word world there means the sum total of individuals. That means you and me. And it says that God loves us so much. And you know the rest of it. He loves us so much that he gave Jesus Christ for us. I want to tell you one of those beautiful things this morning. It, you are stained. Some of you are stained worse than others. Some of you are stained and you don't know it. But we are all stained. But in the midst of, of the stains on our life, isn't it wonderful to know the creator of the universe knows us and loves us? This may seem silly to you. We've done it before. I want you to do this. If you would, pat yourself on the chest and say with me this morning, God loves me. God loves me. God does love you. Now, here's the third part of this, and it all goes together. You need to get right with God. I need to get right with God. See, Rahab was stained. I think Rahab knew she was stained. I think she's going to embrace that in a moment. I think she's beginning to understand God loves her. You cannot stop there. Max Licato's a great Christian writer, speaker. And he said something. He said a lot of things that are really good. But he said this, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Isn't that good? God loves you just like you are. See, a lot of people won't waller in their sin and their sorriness, but God loves us too much to Leave us the way we are. God wants us to be different. God wants things to change. And things are going, are going to begin to change in the life of Rahab. And for the better. In verse 2, 
Verse 2, it says, But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come tonight to spy out the land. Now, it says king of Jericho. A lot of these cities, we might have a mayor. They had kings. They were kind of city-states. Let's read on in verse 3 through 9. It says, So the, the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house. For they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were, where they were from. Then they left the town at dusk. The, when the gates were closed, I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Verse 6, actually she had taken them up to the roof. The roofs were flat and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. As soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went to them on the roof. She was talking to them and says, I know the Lord. Listen, something's happening in her life. Something's happening in her heart, her understanding of God. I know the Lord has given you this land. We are afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. Verse 11, it says, No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has courage to fight after hearing these things. Now, let me tell you a couple of things real quick. You see that she lied here, didn't she? And we don't have enough time to get into a lot of the ethics of this, but it would be kind of like this. Let's say today, let's go back. It's 1942. You live in Nazi Germany, and you have Jewish people hiding in your attic, and the Nazi soldiers come and say, do you have Jewish people hiding in your attic? You lie to save their lives, okay? And so she's lying here to save lives. You don't lie to save your iPhone. You don't lie to not get in trouble uh, with your parents. You, You don't lie to... Throw your wife in another direction. Line's not right. She's talking about saving lives here, okay? But here's the big thing. If you notice, her heart's changing. She's recognizing the real God. They worship gods in the Canaanite countries. She's beginning to see that the real God is the God of these spies. Verse 12 through 15. It says, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee. When Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed, if you don't betray us, for we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Verse 15, then since Rahab's house was built in the town wall, she let them down by a rope through a window. Now, it's neat. In 1907 through 1909, German archaeologists were, they were excavating around Jericho, and they found part of the wall that dated back to this very era, and part of the wall here had not fallen down. They were able to determine that it was still intact. It was, uh, and, 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 and Merrick was telling me in between services in the 1950s, this was verified by other archaeologists, they couldn't figure it out. Almost all of the wall had fallen except part of the northern wall. And in the wall here, there were apartments, houses built into the wall. And 
they had windows that were going outside of the wall that she could have let the spies down. Isn't that kind of a, ver- a neat verification that they found this, that, uh, yes, Rahab did live into a house in the city wall. So we, we go on, and she has been guaranteed some protection and some safety. Verse 18 and 19. When you come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family, your father, your mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside of the house. A scarlet rope, two things here. A scarlet is red, and some people believe the concept of the red light district started here. Now, you don't know what a red light district is. I don't either. I looked it up this week. A red light district is where prostitutes frequent. And they're known, the used to be, years ago, for the red lights. And there's a red rope hanging from her window. The red rope's going to save her life. I think a better understanding, though, is this, is, is, is the idea of this red rope, this scarlet thread of redemption that runs through the Bible of God's grace and God's protection is what we see here, which is so wonderful. Let me tell you what happened. Rahab got saved, to use our language. Somewhere in this process, this prostitute, this despised lady realized, hey, their God is the real God. I need, I need to bow my life. I need to bow my heart to him. How do I know this? Hebrews eleven thirty one. Look at this way over in the New Testament. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. In this great chapter called the chapter of faith, Two ladies are mentioned. One of them is Rahab because of her faith. In James 2, 25, it says it even better. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid the messengers and sent them safely away down a different road. Man, what a a tremendous thing. Here's a lady at the beginning of the story. She is Rahab the prostitute. She is an outcast of society. She has an encounter with some people. She understands, hey, this is the real God. And her heart and her life is changed. Let me tell you this morning. God loves you. Stained badly, stained a little bit. God loves you. But what you need to do this morning is you need to get squared up with God. That means if you're not a Christian, that you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning. You need to surrender to Him no matter who you are. It means as a Christian, we need to understand we need God's grace. Someone said, here's how you can tell if you're uh, growing as a Christian. You understand more and more your need of God's grace and forgiveness and mercy in your life. Do you understand you need it? And you see, when we get right with God, things are going to begin to change in just a second. You know who Woody Allen is? Woody Allen was a, a, a film director. I think we have a picture of Woody coming there he is he was a, an actor also is an actor he had some pretty morally questionable things happen in his life and one was he married his stepdaughter that's kind of creepy isn't it and what was even creepier is he was having an affair with the stepdaughter when she was in his house as the stepdaughter they got married he was 62 and she was 22 Seven or eight years later after this, he was being interviewed, and, and the, the reporter was trying to be nice and ask him, Woody, do you understand you made some mistakes? He goes, ah, it's, you know, things didn't always go the way they should have. But here's what he said. 
I've learned nothing. I've gained no wisdom, no insight, no mellowing. I'm no better, and if I had to do it all over again, I would do the same things again. Let me tell you, there's two people here this morning, two people uh, that, that God never can help. God cannot help you until you understand you need his help, and God can't help you until you're willing to come to him for help. But boy, when you're willing to come to him, I want you to look at the last, the fourth thought this morning. When I get right with God, God can do great things with me. Man, this is the, this is the life you're looking for. This is exactly how the promised land story, how it, it really kicks off and it begins. In chapter 6, we're going to talk about some of this in the days ahead. The Jewish people have defeated Jericho now. So they're coming in the city. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house. Bring her out along with all her family. Verse 24 or 25. Well, I'm stuck. There, there we are. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies. Now, now here's what you can easily miss. She did right. She got right with God. Her life is spared. And it's neat when a person gets right with God, one of the things they instantly want to do is they want to start helping other people. She rescued her family, her brothers, her sisters. She's going to be taken in by the Jewish people and become one of them. You listening? Matthew chapter 1 verse 5, this is going to blow you away. How many of you skip over genealogies when you're reading the Bible? God's watching. You better be honest. I, you know, in the Old Testament, sometimes I have a tendency to speed read. But this is in Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was who? Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed. It goes on, and, and here's what you find in Matthew 1. Rahab the prostitute is the great, great, great grandmother of King David. Is that not cool? Rahab, then as it goes on, she is like the great, great, great times 20, whatever, grandmother of Jesus Christ. Is that not awesome? See, we wouldn't let that happen in a Baptist church, but God lets it happen. Isn't that great? Is that not great? See, we cast people aside, and Jesus says, I am not through with you, no matter how stained or messed you up you are. If you will come to me and let me save you, change you, and clean you up, you got a future. The prostitute is a granny of Jesus. Wow. Hebrews eleven thirty one. I want to read it one more time. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. In this chapter, there are two women mentioned. One is Sarah, Abraham's wife. The other is Rahab. Mary, the mother of Jesus, isn't mentioned here. Deborah, the great Old Testament warrior leader, is not mentioned here. Rahab, the prostitute, is mentioned here. Is that not incredible? God cleaned her up, straightened her up, and, and she's in the Bible. Now, are you going to have scars when God cleans you up? A lot of times you are. You know, I, I think one of the cool things when we get to heaven, the minute you get to heaven is you're going to know everybody. Isn't that going to be great? And there's going to be great-great-grandpa you never met who's a believer. Of course, you're going to know Jesus. He'll be obvious, won't he? 
But there's going to be Peter. There's going to be Paul. Then you're going to walk. Hey, it's Rahab the prostitute. And you're going, why did I call her a prostitute? And she's going to smile. And she's going to go, I've heard that a billion times in the last uh, 3,000 years. But you know what? It's not only God can do that, correct? But see, here's, the, here's something more personal. God can do it for you too. No matter how stained you are, how messed up you are, God can clean you up. Psalms 51.7, purify me from my sins, I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We have a picture of snow. Kind of hard to see because it's obviously all white. How many of you remember two years ago when it snowed in Ruston a couple of days? We got out of school. That's a great thing about living in Ruston. If, we get the, if there's a 1% chance of ice in the next month, we're not going to school for a week. And that's fine. That's good. And, and, you know, so it snowed, and you went outside for three hours, and you enjoyed it, and then it's gone. Think about this. God cleans you up. God cleans you up. Hebrews 8, 12, it says, I will forgive their sins, and I will never again remember their sins. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will forgive their sins completely. You know, the Marines used to have an old saying, they were looking for a few good men. I understand that for the Marines, but that's not God. God's not, God's not looking for good people, cleaned up people. God's looking for willing people, people who are willing to come to him and let him change them and forgive them and straighten them up. This is a true ad that was in a paper in Virginia several years ago. It's a woman wanting a man. Overweight, okay. No slobs, no smokers, no drinkers, no convicts, and no Baptist. Wow. I feel, I feel damaged by that. I mean, she nailed me on a couple of things. Isn't that? That's terrible. Aren't you glad God doesn't say that? God says today, I open my arms to the chubby, to the skinny, to the Baptist, the Methodist, the atheist, to the bad, to the good. I, I offer my arms to everyone. How many of you know who John Newton was? It's going to be interesting. You're going to know who he was in a moment. I was talking with Ed and Brian. Brian is our tech guy, and Ed is our children's minister before church this morning. And I said, how many of y'all know John Newton? Y'all know John? They both raised their hand. Brian was smart enough to keep his mouth closed. Ed wasn't. Ed goes, yeah, he, he, he sang in the 70s, didn't he? I said, what? You know, Elton, John, John, he sang with a woman, didn't he? I said, well, he may have, but... He's, and I said, are you thinking of Olivia Newton-John? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Okay? Not Olivia Newton-John. We think of John Newton in the cleaned-up stages, don't we? John Newton was a terrible person. Did you know that? Before he met Christ. On his tombstone, it says, here lies John Newton, a clerk, once an infidel and a libertine. That means a wild child. A slave trader. But by the rich mercy of God and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I was preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith that I'd labored to destroy. When he was 82, John Newton said, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I'm a great sinner and that Jesus is a great Savior. He's the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. I don't know about you, but it's exciting to think, no matter where you are, that God can straighten you up, clean you up, and use you. I want to go back to my shirt, the shirt that I love and that my wife loves. 
with fear and trembling and much prayer, I washed it. And Tide got the stain out. Isn't that great? I laid it on Cindy's pillow. Made her sniff it. But here's something that's really cool. You know, Tide can get the stain out of a shirt. Jesus can get the stains out of you. Jesus can get the stains out of you. Not a question of if he can, he can. Here's the question for you and me as we end. Will we let him? Will we let him? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I think that there's several things that probably are going through your heart and your mind, and I want you to... um, to think about what you need to do with Christ right now. If you're not a Christian, you're unsure if you're a Christian, you're listening, watching on the internet, you're here, and you're ready to cross that line with Christ, and you're sincere, I want you to pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart. And Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, here's my challenge to you. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your life or you're ready to do it. You can catch one of our ministers after church. Or when we stand in a moment, you can come and let one of us help you with this decision. God can clean you up and set your life in a new direction this morning if you'll let him. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to. You can come and do that in the invitation. Or if you'd like to do that after church, you can certainly find one of us and do that. Christian, you're, you're in one of two spots. You're doing okay. You need to stay humble. Ask God to help you stay on the path and to use you. Some of us as Christians aren't doing too well today. and We need to repent. We need to get right with God and let him clean us up and get us back in the game. Maybe that will happen where you're standing. Maybe you want to come and pray at the altar, pray with the minister. But let's stand. And as God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.